Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. Such sights to show you. Strange Eons. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric up there. Hello. Sitting in the Vanessa chair again this week is Steve Holitz. Hey, hey. And <laughs> I am Kelly. Uh, we're, your, uh, we're your co-host for Strange Eons Radio for, for now. We'll see. Maybe, maybe Vanessa comes back next week. We don't know. Maybe she's just decided she's had enough of this shit. Yeah, it's always possible. <laughs> In which case, Steve, clear your Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I've podcasted for years with two kids. It can be done. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Uh <laughs> I'm looking at my computer screen right now. It says it's a balmy 25 degrees out and partly sunny, so that's nice. Um, we're in the middle of what is called a dry storm. Did you guys know that? Good times. The, uh, the, uh, so, so no humidity in the air and even less humidity in your house if you're heating your house. Because generally yeah. the humidity kind of stays the same between uh, outside and inside. But when it's this dry outside and you're heating your house, it's going to be much drier in here. That's why your lips are chapped right now. That's why your skin is cracked and peeling like mine. Uh, so you're good. making me thirsty, man, with all this dry storm talk. <laughs> I got to hydrate. <laughs> Everybody, please take a drink. <laughs> okay, okay, sorry. Hmm? I had uh, my faith in humanity restored this morning, you guys. So Holy we, shit. Yeah, we, we record on Sundays, and I like to do my shopping for the week on Sunday mornings. I like to get out before the mutants start roaming around. The meth heads and the, the homeless people of Everett uh, tend to enjoy the QFC lot a lot more than any place else. They're doing that crazy kind of hunched over thing, which I think is a horse tranquilizer symptom. Have you seen that? That's always very scary and terrifying. But uh, today I walked in and there was a young couple in front of me. She took a beeline to the Starbucks and I was following him because I like to grab uh, – QFC has these pizza bagels and, you know, you cut one of those in half, you toast those up, you – fry up some bacon. You've got a lovely little breakfast, right? But as I'm walking towards the bagels, I see that he is also walking towards the bagels and he is in front of me and he stops and he looks around and he kind of digs through the, the packages of bagels and he pulls out the last pizza bagels. And I said, as a joke to him, as he was walking away, I said, oh, you got the last one? And he was like, oh, no, did you want these? And I was like, no, no, it's fine. He's like, were you going for these, really? I said, yeah, but it is totally fine. And then he said to me, <laughs> he goes, you want, you want me to give you two of these? I'll, uh, I'll pop it open. You can just switch me to with whatever you're getting. <laughs> and I was so touched. I said, no, thank you. Uh, that is very kind. I will be fine with a different kind of bagel. But I thought that was just 
really nice of him to even offer doing something so weird in the middle of the QFC as, <laughs> you know, trading bagels from our packages. <laughs> and then when I, uh, when I, uh, did my checkout and I always do the self checkout and quite honestly, that early in the day, there's nobody at the cashiers anyway the cashier registers so i'm doing my checkout and as i check out and throw my receipt in my bag the gal who kind of monitors everything she says did you get your knife points and i was like my knife points i'm not sure what this is and she says oh you've you've got we've got these free knives if you've got enough points and i was like oh i probably don't have enough points and she's like oh my god you've got like 140 points here apparently if you spend a certain amount of money at the place you get a point per ten dollars or something like that and and uh i felt like saying yes i well i would have a lot of points because uh you guys charge way too much for everything (laughs) and so i have spent a lot of money here every fucking sunday it seems but uh she then drags me over to this section where there's all this nice cutlery and everything available. And she's like, you've got, you know, you can get one of these knives or you get this knife and this knife. And, and I ended up walking out of there with, a, I already have a pretty nice knife set, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I ended up walking out of there with two new knives for free as well. And uh, just had a, a, a hop in my walk, a skip in my jump today because of this. And I didn't drink too much last night. Uh, I've decided to kind of be a little more aware of what I'm consuming alcohol-wise. Not not doing any dry January or anything. Uh, dry wine January. I am being it. a little more aware of... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, I was like, boy, what a lovely day. I can't wait to podcast with two humans that I love so much as you two. Well, that is a good Sunday. Yeah, what a great story. Yeah. Right? Kind of funny you mentioned those knives, though, because Marth, my father-in-law, the last two times we've been over there, he's like, I got a bunch of QFC knives here. Do you need any <laughs> knives? Any extra? So I think I've got enough points for like two more if you want. Like, um, for color things. <laughs> Maybe, maybe later. <laughs> yeah, she was she was pointing out all these knives, and I'm just like, I actually have a really expensive knife set, but but that knife I've never seen before, which is you know a very fine knife for uh, mincing and dicing and all that. And I was like, well, I don't even own a knife like that, so I guess I'll take that one. And it was just a uh, just I like getting free things, so well earned. Sure. <laughs> sure. I also managed to watch a couple of groovy things, a couple of groovy shows this week that I would love to tell you and our lovely listeners about. Uh, I'm I'm a little disappointed Vanessa is not here to see me talk once again about an animated show that I found after saying that I just don't watch animation. Uh, but I found something on Netflix called Onimusha. Familiar with this at all? Don't know that one. I believe it is based on a video game. And when I was reading the reviews for it, everybody who's played the video game hates this, <laughs> hates this series. <laughs> and I, I'm watching this going, this is fucking brilliant. It's the animation is gorgeous. It's, it's a lot like that. Um, 
Scavenger's Rain stuff, it's got a very realistic animation set to it. So although it's Japanese, it doesn't have that anime look to the faces and the movements, everything. It almost looks rotoscoped, quite honestly. And it's, um, you know, it's got to be... 17th century Japan and it follows uh, a famous swordsman who has gathered up a group of samurai to help him. He is going up this mountain to kill this demon and the samurai, it, he looks just like, uh, now I can't remember the very famous samurai actor from Lone Wolf and Cub. Uh his name is. I know that, who you mean. Was that was that Toshiro Muthuni? Uh, I can't remember his Not name, sure. but he looks he looks just like him, and it's really uh, it's a really great series because eventually, you know, by the end of the first episode, you realize you are dealing with supernatural forces, and he has to defeat this demon, and he has borrowed this uh, gauntlet to help him do that. And the gauntlet has mystical powers and allows him to be a little more of a warrior than he already is. But it's obviously uh, sucking his soul or something as it's helping him. So it's got a little bit of the Stormbringer <laughs> feel to it. And uh, I, I don't know. I just was like going nuts over this thing. It's called Onimusha. And I believe it's got eight episodes. And probably if you're a gamer, you have heard of this and hate this series. But if not... You may enjoy the series as I am on Netflix. On that note, has there ever been a good animated version of Elric? No. You know what's really interesting? You mentioned that. Are you guys familiar with the ElfQuest comic book? Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. The artist, Wendy Peeney, before she had done that, had done – I've had this forever. It's one of my prized possessions – this book called Law oh, and Chaos. Yeah. And it was her attempt to to start getting an animated Elric. And it's really, Jeez. really gorgeous work. You know, it's because that's what she does is really gorgeous work. And it never got off the ground, but this is this is a really neat little record of her attempting to do that. I think this was probably in the early 70s. But no, there has not been a good animated Elric, and I think that would be a brilliant way to, to do it. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> There's some pretty good comic book adaptations that have been done. Like uh, this series I picked up from uh, Amazon. Hardback versions, incredibly well-priced. They're like 20-some-odd bucks per issue. Really leans into how dark and... Uh, Violent, the Elric stories can be. Huh. I'll have to check those out. Steve, what about you? Well, you know, one of the things, uh, since we're talking about a vampuary, uh, I watched a film. Have you guys seen El Conde? I have still not seen that. The Count, which is... Uh, it's It's... A Chilean black comedy film directed by Pablo Lorraine, written by Lorraine and Guillermo Calderon, is currently on Netflix. Uh, It's a satire that portrays Chilean dictator Mm -hmm. Augusto Pinochet as a 250-year-old vampire seeking death. The the film stars uh, Jaime Vidal, Gloria Munchmeyer, Alfredo Castro, and Paula Luxinger. 
And uh, it's uh, interesting. So Pinochet uh, survives the uh, French Revolution as a vampire, and he leaves France with the head of Marie Antoinette and goes to Chile and basically starts working his way up the ladder. And uh, he's reached his uh, an age where he is just tired of living but he also doesn't want to give his fortune to his five succubus children who have hired a nun slash accountant <laughs> from the Vatican to try to take down Pinochet. So it's this weird black comedy that absolutely skewers all of the corrupt uh, way he would leech off of society during his career, both he and his family. And they're, you know, the, the uh, woman who plays the accountant is interviewing each of the, the children. And so is it really true that you bought a steel factory from the military for nothing? And then a few late years later, sold it back to the military for $3 million. And he's like, absolutely. Isn't it crazy? So it absolutely <laughs> skewers like all the shit that that regime got up to. In addition to like Margaret Thatcher is a vampire character in the film. And, uh, wonderfully done i mean they're living in squalor and they're all competing against each other and it's also gruesome but also uh, very banal in the way that he you know he he flies around the city and it's all beautiful and he takes this hook knife and he'll remove people's hearts and then he'll put it in a blender to make himself like a smoothie of heart <laughs> and then that's how he survives so it it has this silliness to it but it's also very funny and, again, currently on Netflix. So uh, if you're into, you know, dark comedy and vampire stuff, check it out. El Conde. Yeah, I do want to check that out. That was one of my 100 this last October. And, yeah, that's a, that is a wild, weird film. Isn't it weird how, though, he has all this money and yet they're living in squalor? Like the, the living room that they have, the floorboards are blown out and they're sitting in dirt. Like it's just – the, the set design and everything is really crazy and interesting and fun. It's like they've lived so rich and for so long, they just don't care anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, whatever happens. <laughs> uh, I watched uh, another Italian film, another from that series of releases that I've talked about recently from Severin, a movie called Closed Circuit, which is a actually a TV made-for-TV movie from Italy about a group of people in a theater that are watching a uh, a um, uh, spaghetti western, and one of the guys on the screen shoots, and somebody in the audience gets shot. And uh, then the police show up and basically demand everybody stays there. And we're not talking like for a couple hours interview. They're there for days, and mm-hmm. they come up with the idea, we need to reshow this film so we can figure out how people died. It almost goes into surrealism, but uh, really good, really interesting and weird, um, way over dramatic at time. But, you know, 1978 Italian, you're going to get some of that. <laughs> but uh, well worth checking out. Uh, closed circuit. And news from Severin, so that means it's probably popped up on some streaming places because they usually stream some of the stuff they sell about the time they bring it out so it's probably available somewhere and well worth checking out and that's the title closed circuit yep 
It's got this neat uh, cover of a gun with film reels on top of it. <laughs> Great image. Very nice. Uh, well, I'm sure that if you are on Instagram or Facebook, you're seeing uh, the ads that are popping up all over the place. There's a new season of Spartacus coming out called House mm, of Ashur. Yeah. And uh, I don't know about you, Steve, but I do know that, Eric, you and I watched the three seasons of Spartacus. And oh, yeah. uh, I remember originally we were watching it to kind of make a little bit of fun of it. And then you get completely <laughs> wrapped up in the soap opera of uh, ancient Rome and gladiators <laughs> yes. and everybody fucking each other literally and figuratively. So that's available. All three episodes are or all three seasons are available on Tubi now. And so I decided to start doing a rewatch from episode one. And I thought, well, I'll just gradually get into this. Nope. I'm on season three already. <laughs> Two and, days later. <laughs> I, it's, it, I forgot how engrossing it is and how you're just, you know, you're rooting for these people to die. It's really the bad guys you really love to hate in this. And uh, I've I just fallen in love with it again. I forgot how horrible looking like the first two episodes were. But I think I remember them getting semi-decent reviews. And it was almost like they said, oh. We, we should put some money in this. And so all of a sudden it became less of a uh, 300 ripoff and more of its own oh, right. thing and the, the slow motion and digital blood kind of started going its own way instead of trying to look like uh, like Zack Snyder's 300. Um, I got to say, I'm, I'm really, really loving it this second time around. So and I forgot that was already 10 years ago that show okay yeah i was gonna ask that well, that was a while ago wow <laughs> yeah so the fact that they're bringing it back again somebody must have said hey remember when stars used to have good ratings um <laughs> let's see if we can do that again so yeah it's called spartacus the three seasons are blood and sand gods of the arena and vengeance and then a new one coming up called house of asher so yeah i wanted to talk about uh, something i've been reading lately <laughs> This guy Kale Young <laughs> is doing this this serialized oh, this is not allowed. <laughs> the secret language of spiders, and uh, you know Kelly doesn't talk that much about his stuff on the show, so I thought I would for a second. Um, what I'm enjoying about this soon-to-be novel, which you all can read come summer, I think, is the fact that he's, he's captured like this this sort of. Uh, small town America horror vibe that, you know, we all grew up with Stephen King. So we appreciate that sort of thing, but there's the modern, he's modernized it and localized it. So it, the story's happening in Washington is post COVID it's up to the minute dealing with homelessness and issues that we are all seeing on a daily basis. At the same time, with each episode, he's ratcheting the vice. It's getting more intense and more intense and more intense. And I'm just really loving the vibe of what Kelly is doing here. Uh, and you know what? I'm feeling three episodes in or issues in. I don't think anybody is fucking safe. I don't think that Kelly's playing games here. He was putting children in danger. He gives zero fucks. This guy's getting after it. And uh, <laughs> when you have a chance to read the whole thing, I think you should check it out. Hmm, let me see. No lies detected. <laughs> uh, Steve, you're too kind, and your check is in the mail. 
So Julie's also read through them all. I, I don't know if I owe you additional money for that or how it works. If it's like a, a streaming thing, <laughs> ones, but uh, yeah, yeah, she's really enjoying it as well. So well done, sir. Can't wait for more. Ah, that is. That is so kind of you. Uh, I'm really bad at accepting compliments, but and the compliments I have been getting are embarrassingly good. And I really, really appreciate everyone who signed up for the for the 33 limited copies. And um, I think that you're all going to really enjoy this next uh, this next chapter that comes out is an interlude. And I think it's going to answer a lot of questions. Plus, there's a lot of groovy little giveaways that are coming with each of these. And I think everyone's going to love what suddenly shows up with this uh, fourth chapter. So thank you so much, Steve. That was really, really nice of you. Sure. Well, and the, the world building, well, you're doing, I mean, there's there are a lot of places that you can do more when this is all wrapped up. And I just I, I like the the hint of a future there. Well, I hope that you enjoy how it ends up. Well, I guess I'll just steer back to regular old movies. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. This is the most embarrassing four minutes of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, this one was a recommendation from Bob Hall. Since I, or Hale, since I put it in my uh, notes, I have no idea when he recommended it. If it was a long time ago, I'm glad I finally got to it. <laughs> <laughs> Sons of Steel from 1988. It's interesting. <laughs> it's a story of a rock and roll guy who somehow travels through time and is uh, set to the world got destroyed because of a boat accident or with a submarine or something like that. So he's going to go back from the future back to the current time and stop that it is wonderful it could have been directed by some other famous bad movie directors but uh just some random guy gary l Keedy, put it out <laughs> it's hard to talk about it's such a strange movie the music is so wonderfully bad uh 80s metal mm. and uh so that's fun the the guy <clears throat> who sings is over-the-top, muscle-bound, sort of almost <laughs> reminiscent of um, the lead character of The Room. <laughs> Acting chops as well. So, but, you know, Bob, that was a good recommendation. Thank you. I enjoyed watching it. And if any of you are in the mood for a rock and roll time travel with kind of guys that look like extras from Conan the Barbarian also involved. Check it out. It's uh, <laughs> pretty sure I saw it on Tubi. <laughs> Is it a known band who does the music? No. <laughs> it's all just for this thing. Or they may be an Australian band that, you know, a band that showed, they did a few shows someplace in Australia and maybe put an album out or something like that, but there really wasn't a lot of indication of you could go out and get their catalog. <laughs> gotcha. Huh. I love Bob. Uh, he, we used to run into him all the time down at the Lovecraft film festival yeah. and, uh, less and less over the past couple of years as life has gotten in the way of everything. Uh, sure. but, uh, now I'm going to have to watch this as well. Sons of steel. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, you guys, how about we take a little break and uh, I can wipe away the tears in my eyes from Steve's gushing <laughs> compliments. And then when we come back, we are talking about vampires again. Don't be scared. I'm the super sweet monster with the super sweet new cereal, Count Chocula. Biffle, here's the super sweet new cereal, Frankenberry. But I've got chocolate sweeties for monstrous chocolate flavor. Well, I've got berry flavored sweeties for monstrous strawberry flavor. Count Chocula. Frankenberry. Hi. <laughs> Frankenberry. Count Chocula. Hello. Let's see who's called the Strange Eons Radio Hotline. Hey, folks. Mike DeBronza calling just to wish Miss Williams a congratulations on becoming a mom. Can't wait to see that Zardos baby's first birthday party. Time will fly by. Can't wait for the costumes. But anyway, congratulations sincerely. If you'd like to call the Strange Eons Radio Hotline, dial 253-237-4266. And we have returned. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling much better. I got a few deep breaths in me. I was just like, oh, my God, they like me. They really like me. Uh, the topic, once again, is vampires. Steve, why don't you start us off this week? So as I mentioned last episode, I've got this pile of DVDs <laughs> right next to me. And so when Eric reached out, he's like, hey, what do you want to you know, watch for this, this you know, couple of vampire episodes? And I grabbed immediately just the first two things that I saw. And the very first one, which we talked about last episode, was Vampire. The second one was The Vampire Lovers. Come with us if you dare into a twilight world of unspeakable horror. You must die. Everybody must die. Sample, if you dare, the deadly passion of the vampire lovers. <laughs> the vampire lovers. Perverted creatures of the night find their victims everywhere. The unsuspecting merrymakers in glittering ballrooms with their young and tender throats. The sleeping beauties whose troubled dreams turn into real terrifying nightmares. For God's sake, save her! Vampire lovers. 
no escape till their evil hearts are stilled for all eternity. <coughs> if one remains, yes, even one, there will be thousands more. Beware. Beware the cold caress, the kiss that kills. Beware the vampire lovers. A Hammer film from, I want to say, 1970. Uh, Let's uh, double check that. Yeah, 1970 British gothic horror film directed by Roy Ward Baker, starring Peter Cushing and the uh, gorgeous Ingrid Pitt, George Cole, Kate O'Mara, Madeline Smith, Don Adams, Douglas Wilmer, and John Finch. Again, uh, produced by Hammer. Uh, And what's interesting about this is it's actually the exact same source material as Vampire. It's Carmilla, which was taken from the... uh, Sheridan Le Fanu novella, and also uh, Through a Glass Darkly, his anthology. So I was surprised as I'm starting to watch this. I'm like, this seems oddly familiar. And uh, much of the story is uh, (laughs) very similar to the last film I reviewed. So if you dare taste the deadly passion of the blood. Let me cut in if I can. Was this a first time viewing of the vampire lovers for you? Yes, it was. Wow. Okay. Nice. Yeah, I've uh, been working my way through the older Hammer stuff. As you know, like a lot of Hammer wasn't released as once in big box sets the way Universal was. So for a number of years, it was kind of more of a challenge to catch up on that stuff. And I would see, you know, the occasional film on like Bob Wilkins and Creature Feature back in the day. But uh, I was pretty far behind on the overall Hammer scope. So I've been catching up uh, over the last few years. And I picked this up, but I hadn't watched it yet. So uh, what I do know about the film, uh, the budget was uh, 165,000 pounds. And uh, again, it was based on the 1872 Sheridan Le Fanu novella, Carmilla. It's the first film of the Karnstein trilogy. The other two films being Lust for a Vampire in 1971 and Twins of Evil. The three films were somewhat daring in the time, explicitly depicting lesbian themes. As a matter of fact, on the cover of the film here, caution, not for the mentally immature. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Whoops. Damn it. So it, it starts uh, with this amazingly shot scene of a vampire hunter watching out a window as a shape ascends through the mist covered in a shroud and it's really great looking and this creature wanders through the mist away into town and it loses a piece of its shroud which will prevent it from having its rest so this vampire hunter grabs the shroud as the shape goes into town and there is a gorgeous vampiress who uh drains a townsperson and returns Uh, attempting to go back to her rest. Uh, She's unable to do so because her shroud is missing, and he taunts her through the uh, castle window with this bit of shroud. When she comes back, he decapitates her, so you're starting with a great, glorious opening to this Hammer film. Uh, Gore, it's great. And uh, then we jump ahead to the future, where uh, this uh, general... uh, which is Peter Cushing is holding a ball for his daughter's birthday. And uh, during the ball, this uh, 
Countess comes in and drops off her, I don't think she's her daughter, but uh, her ward. Hey, cat. Uh, and uh, leaves her there as she oh. has to bugger off to some important yeah, event. Yeah. And so uh, this is uh, Marcela, and uh, she starts becomes a house guest and starts to uh, solely inflict her uh, vibe on the situation. The daughter uh, starts to get weak. She's having bad dreams of a cat, oddly, Eric, uh, uh, visiting her at night, and she gets weaker and weaker, <laughs> and uh, soon she is completely drained of blood, and she dies. Uh, at that point, uh, Marcela leaves the castle, runs back in. It turns out that she is one of the Karnstein clans, the vampire Carmilla. So uh, she later appears again at another ho household in the area, and uh, vampiric antics ensue. Uh, I will leave it there because it's definitely will worth watching. Uh, interestingly, Peter Cushing's in very little of the film. Uh, he's in the start and he's in the end. Uh, and again, I haven't seen the other two installments in the trilogy, so I don't know what happens with Karnstein, but it is definitely a delivery vehicle for uh, gorgeous hammer actresses, uh, very scantily clad, uh, lots of great uh, blood taking and decapitations <laughs> in this one. Uh, definitely has that creepy hammer vibe and totally fun watch. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Very fun. Yeah, I remember really loving this movie. And I think I have the novel adaptation of that, the novelization. Um, cool. What a, yeah, what a great time to be alive when those movies were coming out, especially as a young horror <laughs> kid, right? That must have just been the greatest. <laughs> well, and it's interesting that like the lesbian themes are really taken from the original novella. There's, there isn't a lot that they're, I mean, certainly they're saucing it up a little bit, being that era of Hammer, where sex and gore was kind of the selling point. But the the concept of uh, Carmilla seducing these young girls in the different households, that comes from the text directly. I didn't mention this in Vampire. Uh, basically, uh, Alan Gray is just this hapless protagonist. He doesn't do shit. He witnesses things, but at the end of the day, it ends up being sort of the household help who does most of the vampire fighting. And uh, in this case, too, it's the household help that is keeping the garlic flowers around the young lady who is slowly being drained and keeping her alive for the, uh, a large part of the film. So uh, it, it's very interesting in that way. Super interesting to me that you watch these kind of back to back. Uh, yeah. Were there moments that you were like, uh, this is definitely exactly the same scene? Or do you feel like they approached it completely differently? There were mostly different approaches. But yes, the the uh, young girls having nightmares and slowly wasting away was exactly the same in both films. Very cool. This makes me want to watch that one again. It's been a long, long time since I've seen that. Uh, well, Steve, you beat the time by about four minutes. So if, if you want to just talk, vamp, as Eric would say. <laughs> no, let's uh, let's move on <laughs> to the go. next film. Bring it on. Or, all right, I'm turning it off. And then turning it right back on again. 
I feel like if I go over a little bit, it's fine because Steve gave me a little bit of credit on his sure. timer time. <laughs> I chose from 1985, Life Force. They watched. They waited. Now their time has come. Out of the depths of space, the ultimate terror. Moving, searching, destroying. From body to body, from life to life, from man to woman, changing, growing, burning for our life force. director of Poltergeist, from the special effects creator of Star Trek, the motion picture, Life Force. In the blink of an eye, the terror begins. Ah! I'm sure you have both seen this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Love this film. <laughs> this is... <laughs> Yeah, this is one of the films that uh, really starts the downfall of canon <laughs> films. Um, it had a budget of $25 million and a box office worldwide of $11 million. Oh, shit. The Rotten, yeah, Rotten Tomatoes critics give it 56% and the audience gives it 46%. What? Directed by Toby Hooper. 43 credits, including Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Eaten Alive, the Salem's Lot miniseries, Invaders from Mars, Billy Idol's Dancing with Myself video, and maybe Poltergeist. <laughs> Written by Colin Wilson, who wrote the original novel, The Space Vampires, and the screenplay is credited to Dan O'Bannon, who has 37 credits, including Alien, Dead and Buried, Blue Thunder, Return of the Living Dead, and 20 of his 37 credits are based on the Alien film and all of the <laughs> Alien fan films that have come since then that he gets a credit as created by on. Uh, and it's also credited to Don Jacoby, who has 13 credits, including Blue Thunder, The Philadelphia Experiment, Death Wish 3, Arachnophobia, and John Carpenter's Vampires. It is starring Steve Railsback, who has 93 credits, including Turkey Shoot, Blue Monkey, Alligator 2, and Disturbing Behavior. <laughs> and Matilda May, who has 62 credits, including The Jackal, Dead Tired, Love Express, and a ton of French cinema. And Peter Firth, who has 100 credits, Mostly British television, but also Sword of the Valiant, Hunt for Red October, and Mighty Joe Young. Also in this film are Frank Finlay, Patrick Stewart, John Hallam, and Michael Gothard. Okay, you guys, life, <clears throat> life force. It is the year 1985. Definitely not the future. And yet the space shuttle <laughs> Churchill is on a joint British-American scientific research mission as they approach Halley's Comet. 
At this close distance, their scanners, which are very futuristic, and let's not even talk about the fact that they have real gravity on their spacecraft and even mention <laughs> it. Uh, their scanners are picking up something inside the tail of the comet, and it appears to be a gigantic structure. So half the group dons their spacesuits and goes out to investigate. What they find is a 150-mile-long alien spacecraft, and when they go inside, the structure is this awesome mix of Geiger design work and Gothic church architecture. And they also find hundreds of shriveled, dead bat creatures floating in one of the enormous halls. It's a pretty groovy sight, but not nearly as groovy as the three naked humans they find in suspended <laughs> animation chambers. Who cares about the two men? All 15-year-old Kelly Young cared about was Matilda May, who is a vision of perfection and what I imagine God must look like. So they load up the bodies and begin their return trip to Earth. But on the way, Mission Control loses contact with the shuttle, and they send a rescue mission to find out what happened. The rescuers find the Churchill completely gutted by fire, except for the three suspended animation cases and the aliens within them. The aliens are taken to a scientific research center in London where they are watched over by a doctor who is about to perform an autopsy on the female alien when she suddenly wakes up and re reveals herself to be an energy vampire. But she doesn't suck blood. No, <laughs> she sucks. Wait for it, Steve. And no, it's not cock, you perv. She sucks life force. Hence the title. She then proceeds to walk around completely naked, God bless her, sucking the life force out of various humans and escaping the research center. Meanwhile, in Texas, of all places, an escape pod from the shuttle Churchill is found with Colonel Tom Carlson still alive. I love that this space shuttle in the year 1985 has an escape pod in it, has its own gravity, has scanners where they can get readings of ships and stuff. And just... Anyway, uh, <laughs> Colonel Tom Carlson is still alive. He has flown to London and tells how the crew were drained of their life forces and to save Earth from its fate, Carlson set fire to the shuttle and escaped in the pod. During hypnosis that they put him under, it is clear that uh, Carlson has a psychic link to the female alien. Carlson and Colonel Colin, uh, or Colonel Kane, sorry, a member of the SAS, trace the alien to the body of a nurse at a hospital for the mentally disturbed in Yorkshire, and they believe they have managed to trap the alien girl within the heavily sedated body of the hospital's manager, Patrick Stewart. However, the entire episode was a trick to lure them away from London. And when they arrive back, it is clear that a plague has taken full control and the female alien has escaped. The entire city is affected in a wave of violence as people are being taken over and have become rapid, uh, I'm sorry, rabid, like vampire alien zombies rampaging through London. Uh, upon arrival back at headquarters, Carlson soon realized that even the prime minister has been affected, infected, and martial law is enacted to prevent the spread of the plague out of London. The two male vampires have also escaped from confinement and begun to transform most of London's population into zombies. So uh, they transform them by sucking their life force, and then these people become these kind of zombie vampires, and then they suck the life force out of other people, and then they have to just keep doing this like every two hours or so, and uh, the transformation process just repeats and repeats. This blue energy is then collected by the vampires who are somehow transferring it back to the waiting spaceship which is now in Earth's orbit. 
When they finally kill one of the male vampires by impaling him with a lead stake, they surmise that the ancient legends of vampires probably started with a previous visit to Earth from the space vampires, although why they didn't just take over the Earth at that time is never explained. Anyhow, now they have a plan to kill the other vampires, but will they be able to implement it, especially once we realize that Carlson's psychic connection with Matilda May, much like the psychic connection I had with her for about six minutes after this film ended, is so strong that he might not be able to do anything but what she wants. Will they be able to save London from the hordes of energy vampires on the loose? Will Carlson and Matilda May escape back to the cathedral ship and blast back off into space with Halley's Comet? And if so, what happens 75 years later when the comet will return? This movie is playing on Tubi with ads, but nothing is edited out. Uh, I think that this is still a ton of fun, even though it is quite bad. Uh, <laughs> the effects look great to me just because they're practical. And I am a fan of practical effects. But, you know, if you look at them with critical eye, they're quite goofy. <laughs> this was my pick for my 15th birthday. My mom's like, you want to see a movie? What should we go see? And I said, Life Force. And my mom took me and my older brother to it. She was not very happy. But I remember my older brother was all smiles. A little bit of trivia. <clears throat> managed to make it through with your mother still there, huh? That's impressive. <laughs> Little bit of trivia. Toby Hooper once revealed that in the early stages of shooting, they waxed Matilda May's pubic hair off completely, thinking it would make her, lick, make her look less nude. It did not. <laughs> in fact, it was worse because then her vulva was exposed, making her look even younger. So they had her grow a bikini strip of pubes back. May had to frequently remove her pants and panties to allow Hooper to inspect her. Oh, my God. And makeup exec artist Sandra Exelby talked about it in an interview. We had this big discussion about Matilda May. He, Hooper, said, I want all her body hair off. And I said, you can't do that, Toby. She's a young girl. At the time, she was 18. 90% of the film, she was on camera nude while walking about. You cannot take all the body hair away. He said, well, I want the pubic hair as short as possible and lighten it up. I don't really want to see it. So every morning I was on my knees trimming and coloring and making it look perfect. Uh, I do have some trivia that's not nudity tr involved, but who wants to hear that? <laughs> it's a good one to not have Vanessa on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my timer went, but I'm going to take up some of Steve's time. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> I also saw this film in its original theater run, so I completely approve. Go for it. Uh, director Toby Hooper once said of working for producers Menahem Golan and Yoram Globus, Canon was a really good company to work for. Both Yoram and Menahem loved the movies and the filmmakers and really treated them well. It seemed more, when I was there, like maybe what the old system was like. I miss that kind of showmanship and risk-taking. Nice. Uh, the dummies used as the desiccated corpses were also used in The Mummy, the 1999 film. <laughs> That's an awesome fact. Yeah, isn't that cool that they, they <laughs> yeah. reuse that? Um, so, of course, Matilda May's character is called Space Girl. For the shot of Space Girl walking up the stairs naked, shadows were added in post-production to censor Matilda May's body to avoid getting an X rating. 
This is the first movie in director Toby Hooper's three-movie deal with the Cannon Group. And this, uh, let's see, that three-picture deal was this film, Invaders from Mars, 1986, and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, 1986 also. Yeah, nice. Uh, Colin Wilson, the author of the original book, The Space Vampires, very much disliked the film, (laughs) with his verdict being, well, at least there's lots of full frontal nudity. And finally, makeup artist Nick Maley averaged 70 to 90 hours of work during production, most of it applying makeup to Matilda May's fully nude body to make it look perfect and flawless, even though he admitted in an interview that her 18-year-old body was was already pretty much perfect and flawless. He joked once that he had no issue with applying the makeup. In fact, it was his favorite part of the job. That's my film, Life Force, 1986. Kelly, do you do you recall what this was rated? It was just rated R. My Sorry. mom would not have. Uh... I'm wondering how I was able to see this. Uh, did I sneak in? Because I did not go with my mom. I'm pretty sure Gordon and I somehow <laughs> saw this together. Like at 17. I don't know how that happened. Well, rated R was 17 and above. So, was it? Yeah. Okay, maybe that's it then. It wasn't 18? No, no. Not here in the States. Well, all right. Well, so, Eric... <laughs> What do you got for us, and how much full frontal nudity was involved? Some. <laughs> oh, um, excellent! Man, that's a new, we've got the hat trick. Then. Not really reason to have it. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, so I have got 1971's. They have changed their face. Con L S D. L S D. Da oggi in tutti i supermarket Nosferatu. Il proprietario della Auto Avio Motors la vuole vedere nella sua villa di montagna. Il proprietario? Ma non è lei. Io sono soltanto il presidente. Il proprietario è l'ingegnere Giovanni Nosferato. Again, we're going with a Severn release on the Blu-ray. This one from Danza Macabre, Volume 2. Oh, wow. Also, the Italian Gothic Collection. I think this is a much more fun cover than the original one. Um, This was a Rotten Tomatoes of zero ratings from critics. A 40, well, not zero ratings, zero ratings, not a no rating at all for it. And this one uh, had 40 from the crowd, which is kind of low. I, I love saying budgets in uh, Lyra. This was a $50 million film. 
in Italian uh, 50 lira. 50 billion lira. So. <laughs> That's right. So $212,000. But it made 28 million lira. So about half the budget. Oh, so Didn't do real great. This is directed by uh, Corrodo Ferrana, who has also directed Baba Yaga and 11 short films. He also wrote it, same directing. Uh, another writer was uh, uh, Giulio Baruti, who did uh, The Killer Nun, which I think I talked about on the show one time. The Long Arm of the Godfather, <laughs> Season for Assassins, and Riot in a Woman's Prison. Uh, actors, Aldolfo Sali, who is in Thunderball. Uh, the Tiger is Still Alive. Uh, Sandokon to the Rescue. Pete Pearl and the Pole. And Danger Diabolique. Very nice. There you go. Yeah, 103 credits overall. Also, Geraldine Hooper, who is in Deep Red. Uh, Teresa the Thief and Emmanuel in Soho. And Giuliano Esperato, who was in Violent Rome and Judge Roy Bean. You know what? This is another good one. Oh. <laughs> Starts with a guy driving a car into a parking lot and really poorly parking it. It's kind of interesting in the movie idea, though, is because he looks, gets out, kind of looks at the car like, hmm, maybe that's not such a good parking, then just walks away and uh, is brought to the upper. He goes into the very, very corporate-looking building in a light fog. And uh, is greeted by a Mr. Helsing, who wants to take him to the uh, uh, upper floor to meet with the upper management. The weird part is watching to see the upper management. The guy's got a record playing. And I'm like, is that like Goblin or something? It is such an Italian giallo sounding score. And it's the record he's physically playing in the movie. So it's like, that's an interesting move. Uh, he works for an auto company, and the owner wants to see him in his Mount Villa. His owner, Giovanni Nosferatu. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You'd see the cleverness going on here. It's a little on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He drives up to the village in a fog-enshrouded mountain road and arrives at some creepy-ass village with mud for streets and moss covering the homes. I'm pretty sure they just found an abandoned village. And shot it there, because, I mean, this place is a wreck. Um, he, but he can't find a gas station, and nobody in the village will speak to him. From the top of a little ridge over there, a woman appears to help him find a gas station. She's wearing an overcoat and no top. <laughs> so she's topless. It's kind of like the, the image in the um, cover here, although it's more revealing than that image is. But she helps him find a uh, gas station. You find out her name is Laura. Which I also forgot to mention in the previous film from last week, the lead was also named Laura, which is one of the leads from the Carmela films. <laughs> the Carmela book is named Laura. Um, he, Alberto, the lead guy, reaches the home of Nosferatu. He's walking in, and these two teeny small cars like escort him. Both of the men in the cars are wearing little helmets, so it's like some weird racing movie from the 70s. It's very bizarre. And you get up to the house, and the house looks about as run down as a village, and then you get inside of it, and I tell you, this is a sci-fi 70s interior. Oh, cool. 
all white, all silver, all and yellow covers. It's just like, yeesh. Um, as the story starts to unfold a little bit, you realize that this part, at least, is definitely the Dracula story. This movie is kind of a commentary on commercialism and uh, consumerism. Any room the guy walks into, at least for a little while, you hear this weird narrator start to describe the products in the room and where you could buy them. <laughs> like, like he takes a shower and there's like, no shower is complete without tonic gel. You can get our tonic gel. It's just like, it's very weird. Um, the, and the meals he served, also straight out of a 70s sci-fi movie with gelatin and other strange-looking products. And Nosferatu explains, that just saves time and energy. He does offer, Nosferatu offers Alberto the position of president of the company. This is a guy who, from previous things, is basically a factory worker, so he has no idea why he's being offered this. But the Nosferatu has an indoor shooting range. <laughs> Whenever he shoots, you hear somebody go, oh. <laughs> so, every, so every time there's a shot, until the other guy takes a shot, then you don't hear a grunt. So it's very purposeful. <laughs> so like, all right. They never reveal if he's actually shooting somebody from behind the targets. Alberto starts to look around. He finds a dozen kids in small cribs. Um not entirely sure what's going on there. One of them is labeled with his name, uh, the position he's been offered. And then later on, the opposite end of the spectrum, he finds a decimated graveyard and goes in to explore one of the crypts. Can you guess the name on one of the crypts? Nosferatu. Actually, it's Osferatu. And then he notices on the ground an N has fallen off. And the crypt is from 1801. Uh, and the whole time, the lady that helped him find the gas station has supposedly been sitting out in the car waiting for him to come back out. So after what appears to be days, he goes out and visits to see what she's up to. She is gone because Nosferatu has gone and munched on her. She's no longer to be found. This is another weird movie, but it's incredibly well done. And, uh, I enjoyed this a lot. The end shot kind of puts the nail right on the head of what they're talking about with a uh, line uh, embedded over the end. Today, the name of terror is technology. Head of its time, man. <laughs> no kidding. What year did you say? 1964? Uh, I think it's 71. 71. 1971. 64 was uh, Monster at the Opera. Right. So this is 1971. And it looks it. <laughs> it's got that clockwork orange. We're not quite in the 70s yet, but we're still in the 60s a little bit. It's impressive. I was just wondering. Yeah, clockwork orange And so I was wondering if there was an influence of one on the other being a more lower budget or not. I was curious about that. It's hard to say with it being they're close enough. It's Italian low budget. So mm. probably <laughs> because... The Italians were not afraid to borrow from anyone with their films. So there could be some in the look of it, that's for sure. Uh, oddly, it's listed as a black and white movie on IMDb. So let me correct that. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to. The music is by a guy named Amido Tomasi, who was born in 1935. But uh, I mentioned this because it's pretty 
interesting music. It's well done. He also composed The House of Laughing Windows and uh, Sleepless. So he worked on a fair amount of films. There is a pitch meeting to Nosferatu later in the latter part of the movie where you get the idea that he is controlling a network of people. And uh, there's three commercials that are shown, and apparently they all parody uh, uh, Italian films, not ones I've necessarily seen. Uh, Wind from the East, La Strada, and uh, uh, Marat, about the Marquis de Sade. But they looked interesting. <laughs> they were well done. The one about the Marquis de Sade is kind of hilariously over the top. Because uh, they're trying to advertise for everybody new, now safe and legal, LSD. <laughs> In spray can form. Wow. So, I'll also say, go see this film. This is well worth seeing. Again, it's a Severin, so it's probably streaming someplace, at least for a little while. Uh, and it is uh, goofy and strange and definitely worth adding into your lexicon of weird films featuring vampires. <laughs> Fantastic. I can't wait to, uh, to see this one. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm struggling. There's a lot of leg going on, at least on my end, uh, just oh, seeing fine. and hearing everybody. So, yeah. right. <laughs> um, okay. Well, so I, I think we're going into next week with more vampires, and maybe Vanessa will be joining us. Just hard to tell at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I'll give you plenty of warning. <laughs> Well, thanks for having me, fellas. Yeah, please tell everybody uh, where they can find you again, and if you want them to, that is. Sure. <laughs> again, uh, our podcast, The Bone Bat Show, comes out monthly at bonebat.com. Uh, tickets for the 13th Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Festival, once again, will go on sale February 1st. Those are advanced tickets, and uh, that gets you a full day of comedy horror features, shorts from around the world, and live music from the Pine Box Boys. It's a great time. Uh, come join us at uh, Sif Egyptian on April 13th, 2024. Yes, join in. It's a good, 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 good festival. Fantastic. And this is the part where I uh, thank everybody for liking and sharing posts, for reaching out on the Strange Eons Radio hotline, which is 253-237-4266, for uh, joining in on the conversation on the Strange Eons Radio talk page on Facebook, which has uh, just kind of exploded and has a lot of cool people saying a lot of cool things about a lot of cool things. Yes. And thanks for everybody who, of course, has thrown in money either through uh, one of our, you know, monthly subscription things that you can do on PayPal or buy us a pizza or just participating in the value for value model, which is super simple. If you get some kind of value out of this, you decide what that's worth and send it our way. It can be in the form of cash. It can be in the form of just spreading the word. You know, we love all of that stuff. So... That's it for the show. Thanks again, Steve, for for uh, filling in for Vanessa. We really appreciate you doing this last minute like that. Yeah. Sure. And congratulations to Vanessa on the new addition to her family. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. yes. For sure. All right, guys. We'll be back in seven short days, and we are once again talking vampires. Transportation and other considerations for Strange Eons Radio produced by Pan Am Airlines. When you think of traveling, think of Pan Am. You can't beat the experience.
Guests of Strange Eons Radio stay at Econo Lodge Everett. It's an easy stop on the road, if you know what we mean. Strange Eons Radio is recorded live in front of a studio audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Sit, Ubu, sit. <laughs> it's a good one to not have Vanessa on. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>